Hi everybody, welcome to Three Guys Talk About F1. My name's Daniel Thompson. I'm the host of this podcast. It's my first time hosting a podcast, so please bear with me. I'll try my best. With me, I have Chris. Hello. And David. Hi. And we are all long-suffering Formula One fans, Formula One fantasy players, and everything in between. And this podcast is essentially exactly as described. It is three guys talking about F1 um, and all the various topical things and fun things that happen in Formula One. And also frustrating things that we will discuss on the show. Of which we have just gone through Silverstone. So we're going to start with the recent events of Silverstone. Chris is our scheduler. He has the agenda. I do, I do. Okay, I'm not hosting everything. So I'll leave Chris to uh, to introduce the first topic to us and we'll get the show rolling. Um, so the first thing uh, we were going to talk about is um, some, some of the events that happened quite early on in the race uh, between my personal favorite driver, Max Verstappen, and um, someone that a lot of other people seem to like, uh, Lewis Hamilton. Um, they, they collided. Um, before before going into who who caused what, they they collided, um, causing uh, Max Verstappen to retire from the race, um, and and we all know that then Lewis Hamilton went on to win the race, um, despite despite his uh, penalty, however severe you may you may consider it. Um, so I figured we could talk a little bit about that, about what our what our opinions are of um, who who was at fault. And some of the chatter on that. Um, so, so David, I believe you had some uh, some thoughts on this. Yeah, I think sort of my first thought um, kind of was horrible thing to happen on track. It's not something any of us want to see as a driver ended up in a wall in the collision that was what fifty one G, and that's been sort of going around on. Um, social media part of Max's radio at the time and it was sort of scary uh, to listen back to and they watched the incident a few times and from sort of a number of different angles and then sort of I think when you've maybe seen it at very first it does sort of look a bit of a racing incident just one of these things that sort of happens unfortunately is you know it is motorsport crashes do happen it is part and parcel of it all um but i think sort of watching further analysis on it what i see was i know a lot of people have been saying you know for statman you could have given a little bit more room there's more room to give but you know, for statman did give plenty of room to start with and as we've seen sort of towards the end of the race when hamilton was approaching the claire there is there's a quite a good photograph where Declare is giving even less room, but Hamlin goes quite you know, a bit further out to the side, is sitting very much on the curb, nowhere near Leclerc. So I do think it's one of these things that we can sort of debate forever as to whose blame it lies with. But I think you no, know, the church made their decision that sort of racing instant, but the sort of Hamilton was predominantly at front, hence his ten second penalty and then two panel points on his license afterwards. The bit that just makes me think a little bit more about it is, is just how similar it was um, to um, sort of some of Hamlin's previous collisions with Alex Albon. Mm, preach. Sort of. 
<laughs> I kind of that my my main thought on it would be I don't think Hamlin got into his car on Sunday afternoon with the intention of crashing into Max Verstappen. He didn't set out with that in mind. But part of me does wonder, you know, in that moment he knew he was approaching Max. He knew sort of previously he sort of clipped the end of a Red Bull. It spun him a little bit. Hasn't, you know, it's ended up with the Red Bull at the back of the grid in the past. It hasn't sort of crashed them out completely. So part of me would just wonder, was it a little bit of a sort of, yeah, a give this little tap and just see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? Well, or even was it, was it a reasonable risk to take? I don't, I don't personally think it was a reasonable risk because if, if he had the, the, the overspeed to, to contest the position, because we all know that you can't really battle for prolonged periods of time right now. So whoever's in the lead usually just pulls away and whatever, because you can't follow closely for very long. Um, this was still lap one. If he had enough overspeed, why did he have to try it there? I don't think this was a reasonable risk to take. I don't think he was ever going to make the corner in such a way where really, even if Max had given, let's say, half a meter or a meter extra space, they were going to end up touching because Hamilton was never going to make that corner. He was never going to make the apex. Um, and he was never going to be able to make that maneuver cleanly. And then you're thinking, oh, well, if he's supposed to be the greatest of all time, why is he making moves like this? Mm. I don't understand. There, there, was, there was no point. What was the point? Yeah. Well, really, the point was it eliminated Verstappen and it ended up working out quite well for him. I don't think this was, is what he envisioned necessarily. But undeniably, it worked out very well for Hamilton because now the, the lead is only eight points, I think it was. Yeah. I mean, I, just, I only have like three little points in it. I I remove myself from like who's to blame. I think, first of all, we can all agree. I think that Hamilton is extremely lucky in the fact that his damage was because you've I've seen you know you see some of the crashes where someone basically touches something and then the the whole tire falls off. Basically, Hamilton yeah, always tire seems falls to get off into, or the wing falls off or yeah. Hamilton always seems to get when he crashes. Like I remember the time in Germany, like 2018, when Vettel went off, or was it 2018 or 2019, or Vettel, Leclerc went off into the wall. And then Hamilton went in the same place and just sort of bounced off and like carried on to the pits. And I was like, everyone else crashes and Hamilton always, or that, or even in that race, was it 2019 when Bottas, was it 2020? I can't, I'm getting all this mixed up. But you know, when Bottas spun off at Hockenheim in the wet and he smashed into the wall and Lewis spun off the exact same space and he missed the wall by like a millimeter. So I'm just going to say Lewis is extremely lucky. Not only is he lucky that his car was not so damaged that it couldn't continue or didn't affect his the chassis wasn't more affected but also obviously extremely lucky that he didn't end up seriously injuring uh, Max I would say that well and and there was the red flag which allowed them to super glue and duct tape the bit on the wing back yeah on. Mercedes duct tape the duct tape special um, I oh, they also had Bottas to like literally be the, the recovery vehicle and check his car for him and drive around just no. Nah. Nah. Bottas is a different till altogether. But one thing I will be interested to see is because um obviously Max this is quite a big shunt for Max, certainly his biggest in recent recent years, I would say, and I think it does play into a little bit of like for me from Max I get, which is why he's such, such a good driver, I suppose, is that he has a bit of like an invincibility complex, I think. I think he drives like Either nothing's going to happen to him, or if he dies, he dies. You know, like a true, like old school Formula One driver. And so far, 
does not really come back to bite him very often. And he's actually, having said that, while he is like a nuts to the wall kind of driver, he has a very low amount of penalty points, statistically speaking. He doesn't really end up in too many big situations. But certainly, I think this is like one of the biggest shunts I can remember for him for quite a while. And it'll be interesting in the, in the context of the championship. Because you know there are some drivers that have had accidents which are relatively large and they've taken them a couple of races to get back the confidence back in the car. And so this will be a real, I think... I don't really doubt that Max will just get back in the car and hungry and absolutely smash it because I think he's he's that kind of driver. But I will be very interested to see. And um, and my fantasy picks are going to be very laboured on this coming uh, on Hungary. And the third thing I would say is I, I think... Uh, on the note of Alex Albon, I think his prophetic claim of Lewis being a sore loser is is a little bit true, and it's something not even just in this particular instance, but something I noticed very much when you watch Lewis when the race is going well, or when he feels like he's in a good place, even if he's not winning, he, he's quite you know composed, calm. He seems relatively like at peace with whatever situation he's in. The second stuff goes the wrong way south. Like Lewis, you always hear on the radio, Lewis is down, Bono, he's like, I can't, man, this is like, he's constantly talking himself down, talking the team out of it, like, it is, like, it's something, especially early in his career, he used to be terrible for it, he used to sound like someone had broken up with him every time he had a crash, you know what I mean, he's gone a bit better, but I think, you know, I think everything around the championship running away a little bit from him. And the lack of control he has because the car is not up, to, it's not really matching Red Bull at the minute. I, I think it definitely had a part to play in why he put his car there. I think he was just desperate. I think he's desperate and he doesn't, he doesn't want to lose. And particularly this stupid Silverstone effect of him running around with the Union Jack, like like celebrating like he's won the World Championship. That really made me angry. It's yeah. totally weird. It's weird, like UK boner. Obviously, I understand he's British and he's proud to represent Britain. That's great. But like, it's almost like it consumed his entire mindset was I just need to win. I don't care like yeah. championship. I don't care if I kill Max or kill Valtteri. I don't care who I kill. I need to like get this like UK boner like going full full tilt. It needs to happen. I'm gonna do anything. You put so much if you compare it like the rest of the race had this season, he's very sort of like, Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're quicker. We've got to get better. This weekend he's been like a bit psychotic. Yeah, he, he looks the, at the release looks at was the camera, unreasonable. Like, he looks at the camera and he's like, yeah, I just gotta get better, man. It's just like, he has this weird Silverstone thing. And I definitely think that also the weird Silverstone effect for Hamilton really contributed to him shoving a move which probably he didn't need to do, could have waited. Um, but overall, I think for Lewis, it was a bit of a disaster which his luck saved his graces and uh, carried him through, but yeah, he has a he has a weird Silverstone relationship, and it kind of brings out all of his weird traits for me. To be honest, I think it sort of amplifies everything from the years. But well, I also I also think it's really telling. He was like, "Oh, I never do any simulator work. I don't need it." And then yeah, <laughs> and then you find out, oh, actually, he did spend a little morning in the simulator mm-hmm. because maybe there is something playing in his head where he's like, "Where are they getting this time from? I need to." Well. That in itself is a discussion point on its own, nearly, you know, because sort of the timings were different this weekend. It meant on Friday there was time for Lewis to go and go in the simulator. 
And that's not an option. That's It was just unique. It's at Silverstone. The timing's meant there was time for Lewis to go to the factory yep. and go in the simulator. And that was something that, you know, other drivers couldn't make use of. So sort of, does that give Lewis an unfair advantage for the weekend that in the sense he gets a slightly extra bit of practice on the Friday? Okay, it's not in the car on track, but it is in a very good simulator. Mm. I feel like he can go anytime he wants. Like you see, Carlos Sainz basically whipping himself to get back to Italy. To yeah, no, but I think the argument here is, if it if the race were anywhere else, it wouldn't be a home race, so they wouldn't have that close proximity to their own facilities. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, it's still like you. It depends. Like Lewis goes to London Fashion Week or whatever on his Mondays and Tuesdays. Some drivers go fly back to base camp and do some work for the next track. Yeah, but then within the weekend, should you be allowed to? Oh, do sim in the weekend. Like as if he's got the timings on the Friday where there's no FP2 in the Friday, so instead they're back at the factory. I think it's fine. They should be allowed to do that. That's, I don't think the sim has... Uh, I mean, for the driver, I mean, for the team, obviously, the data they get is interesting, but for the driver, I mean, I don't think there's really a real comparison for them being a simulator to then actually binning Max Verstappen at 210 miles an hour you know unless they practice that scenario unless they were doing binning simulator like practice like That'd how to crash max <laughs> safely find you know, out what they we were need, doing we're, in the simulator <laughs> we're a race behind how let's go through the scenarios uh, we've put a max Verstappen like ai car in yeah what probably what, use, what probably corners use f1 2021 what corners can we punt him in <laughs> and you know in that case it's different but i don't think it, you know I don't think sim work should be should be limited. If if they want to get in the sim, they can. Because, uh, I think obviously the, the 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 importance of it is, you know, stated quite a lot. But I, you know, this might just be me, but I don't see when it comes down to it, like when it comes to actually putting your. Well, which, the car. which which team principal was upset by it? Was it Gunter? It was Gunter because clearly Haas yeah. are now racing Mercedes. Well, yeah, Gunter, man, like you can say whatever he likes, but Fox Smash, Fox Smash, their simulator. It's probably because they still got their simulators like a PS3 in the back room or something, like with two controllers. You know, they haven't got around to like the fancy simulator tech yet, but or they don't, they don't have like dedicated sim drivers like like Mercedes and the big teams. I'm sure mm, they do have reserve drivers. Alex Albon in the sim. Uh let's not talk about Alex Albon. Okay, but so. yeah, overall, it was a. I think it was a polarizing incident, but I was surprised to see how polarizing it was. Like very toxic from the effort community, I would say. Like big, well, obviously that like, you had the, the 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 comments made towards Lewis on social media and things like that. And uh, yeah, I was. I think you can, you know. It, it wasn't great, but I mean, it's it's an F1 title championship battle. And you know this is this is kind of part and parcel of that I think when it's this close. Um, so I, yeah, I wasn't expecting to see as much um, of like an outburst. Obviously, I was, I was expecting it to be a big talking point, but it seemed like it really got people <laughs> like riled up to like well, the match. What do you so. think about the the fans in the stands cheering when first after crash? See, I don't actually think like. I th- I feel like this was like mixed, like live mixed, kind of like. Do you think so? Genuinely, because I 
listen. Okay, this is something that I kind of do. I listen to when they play that, you know, someone overtakes or it's like a, you always hear this like cheer come up and someone's faded it up. And I'm like, it sounds very similar to last lap when someone else overtook that was like a British driver. Yes, when yes. X British driver overtakes, play X sound. And I, like, this is my tin hat going on, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, when they saw Max spinning off, they're like, play the sound. And then they saw him clatter the wall at like 180 miles an hour. And we're like, right, well, we can't fade this down. But now it sounds like everybody is cheering. Um, uh, yeah, okay, you say this, but I've also seen some people say that they, they were there and people were cheering. And, well, yeah, I think... Uh, that's, I think like, that's like the people cheering at the football. and like I've, I've seen some videos on YouTube sort of from people in the stands, and I think there's lots of cheering during lap one because, you no know, Lewis and Max are racing and they're enjoying the good racing. And there's sort of in a number of the videos, there's lots of cheering sort of as the run-up to the contact and even at the contact. But sort of as Verstappen does make his way towards the barriers and end up, there is just a bit of a bit of a deafening silence nearly coming across a lot of the crowd. Yeah, you also have to consider that, you know, people coming to Silverstone, like, yes, there are some hardcore Formula 1 fans that can see a big accident happening when they see one, but there's also lots of families, kids, driver survive stands cheering Lando, like, there's also people that, it's, that's just what they, as they see someone going off on cops, it's just exciting, it's like, oh, wow, but they don't think, oh, crikey, like, sideways into the wall at 51Gs, that's gonna potentially, like, kill him. Yes, yes. I think it's in in the moment. I think, but it, it is very timely because obviously, like, with all the Euros and, like, the, this thing around it, English fans, which, you know, I would say is, you know, undeserved comments. I think it just, like, the... And everyone always says, like, oh, well, this happens in the Euros and the football, but, like, Formula 1 isn't like that. But it's like, well, Formula 1 in Britain, what's it like if we're cheering crashes? But I feel like, as David said, I think it was a little bit of just contact, excitement, and then for the for the general populace or general motorsports fans realizing oh that was a big one then i think probably it's something that maybe you'd be like well yeah and then you'd be like oh no like you probably catch yourself and mm-hmm. then you'd be like yeah you you're cheering because there's action yeah yeah and then, then you're caught on tv being like yeah you know like little sound bite um well but that that is also quite an important point to make it was very exciting start of the race really i think so far this this season has definitely been the most exciting of like recent history um but that was just a little aside because that's not actually our next talking point our next talking point is actually um the performance of checo perez so far this season Mm, i love this topic full disclosure i am not a massive alex Albon fan i never have been i never will be although i am massively an alex Albon fan it's no real secret, but yeah. <laughs> Checo Perez. I think before we talk about Perez, to sort of set the scene, we need to think back to 2018 and think about Lewis Hamilton at Silverstone 2018. Um, made some contact in that one and ended up down the 19th behind the Williams. <laughs> this is this is this is David going, gentlemen. A short few back to the past. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <literally>. <laughs> Thirty <laughs> years ago, Nicky Lauda told us, "Take a monkey." <laughs> <laughs> but basically, he didn't quite come back to win the race. But I do think he did end up 
on the podium. Fair enough, some circumstances throughout the race helped, but he did have sort of that drive in a Mercedes from 19th up into sort of the top point finishing. So that's sort of, I think that's the benchmark they have to set if they're in a Mercedes or if they're in a Red Bull. If for any reason they're starting in the pit lane or within the first few laps end up sort of down 18th or 19th or something, there is an expectation their car is considerably better than the rest of the field. You should be able to get yourself back up to at least leave within the top five, if not. Yeah, see, you say this. No, 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 you say this, but I'm going to disagree because this definitely used to be the case. But now, I think because it's so much closer, it's actually no longer a guarantee that, oh, you're just going to be able to pass and definitely you'll be in, like, top six. Because it used to be, you had Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari, and they were always top six. Didn't really matter. Even if you fell back, you could just make up the time and get back up because they'd be like minutes ahead of the rest. But I, I don't think that's the case anymore. So I don't think that's necessarily a fair, fair benchmark now as it was back back a couple of years ago. But that is not to say that you shouldn't still be able to do a good recovery drive in a better car. I'd say even if you can't get that height, I think sort of getting to the closing part of the race and only having been able to fight up as far as P10, it's sort of, it's not quite what Red Bull are asking for their number two driver, especially in the case where your number one drivers went out in lap one. Well, I mean, it, to Checo's defence a little bit, I mean, they didn't exactly seem that interested in him getting that far up the field because they pitted him to, to, to steal one championship point away from Lewis, you know, to help Max. When I think probably Checo could have maybe finished ninth or eighth and, and scored some constructors' points, potentially. Now you say um, that, but w- when they did that, he was in P10, right? So P10, he, he gets one point, so he gives up that point, so he, he goes minus one, but then he also steals it from Hamilton. So at that point, when they make that move, there's no net difference, but the gap between Verstappen and Hamilton is reduced by one point. Um, sure. So strategically, I mean, in in the drivers' championship, it makes sense, and the team, the constructors' championship, isn't affected at that point. Well, you want to talk about strategy. The main strategy is not to bin it in the sprint race. You know, to start and put yourself in that bad position. I mean, the thing about if he, it, yeah, exactly. If he hadn't been in P10, then they never would have done that shit. They right. This is where <clears throat> this is where the difference between say uh, Albon or or Gasly's expectations, which is expectations everyone has for Checo, is that like uh, Gasly and Albon had their fair share of binnings and whatnot, but they both showed, like in some points, pretty promising drives. Alex, notably, was very good at coming back through the field, um, albeit finished sixth or fifth or whatever, and 50 seconds off max, which, you know, nobody, Red Bull wasn't really looking for, but, you know, he had the talent to put the drive through. And there's always a comparison between Gasly and Albon, and Perez and I don't think it's a very fair comparison because Perez has been around for like I basically was born I grew up as a toddler and I probably watched Perez in a Formula 1 race uh, it's an exaggeration but that's how long he feels like he's been part of the the roster right so you expect him to do everything that uh, Gasly with all his talent album with all his talent can do but reliably and better yeah, and more, less more reliably definitely yes and he's obviously you know uh, when last season with um, 
racing point, and then he said Force India. We should all be doing Force India because every media outlet in the world still calls it Force India from time to time. Um, he, he obviously, you know, that's he really found his mojo. Um, and was really clicked with the car, and you know, he could do all these things on paper. But this is where, like, I want. This is where. I want to see Checo Perez this year. It's like, well, you can do this in a car that you've been developing for the past 10 years of your life and sitting in. That's fine. But now you need to come in and basically just stick that thing in third or fourth, second, like top four, like all the time. Because, you know, there's a talks around like his future, but there's no doubt that this season, this is the Red Bull's best title chance in years. And they need somebody that's just going to, like net them points or take away, take away points from the, from Mercedes effectively, and I feel like with Austria and Silverstone, he's had like you know just blunders, which overall, like in the course of deciding a championship for Max, which is specifically his job. Let's let's basically say he's not there to to win it for himself. I think you know you could look back at the end of the season, and if it's decided by like a couple of points here and there, you're gonna think, well, if Perez hadn't flopped it in binning it randomly in the sprint race or something like that, then, you know, we'll come back. And not to say that I don't think Perez should deserve the seat or should be driving anymore, because people, that's what people say to me, like, you're just a big album stan, and you just want him back in F1. Yes, I do want him back in F1, and I do think he should have got a chance at Alphatari like Pierre did, because I think he would have been great. However, you know, you can't deny that when Checo's been on form this season with Red Bull, then yeah, he does look like the, 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 the big candidate to kind of like to, to to sit with Max up there, but you know, he has all the experience, and he, he I'm sure they're not thinking like these mistakes are probably like not not a great look because you don't want to be doing recovery jobs. They just want him to do what he does best: sit at the front, manage the tires, and hold hold Bottas and Hamilton up. Well, that's for as long yeah, as that's the thing. What they need is they need that second driver strategically at the front, so Mercedes doesn't just have like a blank slate to do whatever they want. He needs to do well next race. For sure. Like, Hungary, he needs to, like, have a, the cleanest weekend of his life. Otherwise, if he doesn't do well in Hungary, they're going to start the rumor mill. The media's yeah, going to start clocking onto it. The questions are going to start clocking onto it. You know, they're going to be like, Yuki Tsunoda's coming in, like, you know. Russell to Red Bull. <laughs> yeah. But funny you mentioned you know, that, this- but um, Marco did oh. say last week in an interview mm-hmm. that, if, you know, if Russell wasn't a go to Mercedes, then Red Bull would buy it. We'd pounce on him. Oh, David, yeah. David, with his conspiracy theories. Oh, well, maybe, maybe we can have a little, little interlude, um, and we can add on one of David's conspiracy theories. David. Yes. So basically, Helmut Mark has got a bit. Of, I've been questioned a little bit recently in the media about the driver lineup for next year. Focusing sort of on two different drivers. First of all, he himself just happened to bring Russell up in a conversation with a journalist and said, you know, he thinks that's who Mercedes should have to partner Lewis next year. But if for any reason um, Mercedes didn't um, select George Russell, then Red Bull would look to go after him because he's, you know, a once in a generation talent potentially. And then two days after that, some word sort of got out that Red Bull potentially had been exploring Leclerc's contract for a potential performance clause that could release Leclerc from his contract early to bring him to Red Bull to make sort of this super team of Max and Leclerc. 
Oh, that'll be a horrible team. They don't like each other. <laughs> they don't like each other. Very friendly. <laughs> they don't like they, they've like, never gotten on. Happening. That'll never work. Like them, them have been fighting since they were kids and carts. Like they. That was the rumor mill. That, that would. That would that, I think Helmer is like literally senile. He's 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 losing <laughs> his marbles. Like he's forgetting how many drivers he's got on the books. You can't just be saying. Yeah, you, you, can't, you can't just have like one of the biggest and probably one of the most talent stacked junior rosters in, in anywhere, any team, you know, in cross Formula 2, Formula 3. Red Bull Driver got, Academy. Got, yeah, Red Bull Driver Academy. You got like, you got babies in nappies that are the future talents that yeah. are signed to Red Retreated. Bull <laughs> right now, right? And I feel like, you know, yeah, you want to go for Charles. Charles is Ferrari's talent. That's done. That's over. Like, leave it. You want to go for Russell? Russell's Mercedes talent. Like, and you have your own. You have you have Max. Max is your big one. But for your number two, like, well, what they, is it? They, they did go for Perez instead of one of their own, I guess. Yeah, but that's this is the thing. It seems like for me with Helmet and I guess sort of Red Bull's strategy overall is they don't really have an idea of what they really want. Like long term for that number two seat because it always seems like that number two seat has got like a one or two year timer on it at max and then you are getting sniffed out for somebody else that's like you know any other team like, i think red bull is the only team that really aggressively sort of headhunts everybody and makes you feel like crap because you know you've got a contract for a year or two but you're co- it's always every six months it's under review we get to summer oh we're thinking we'll give him till the end of the year and you think of all these people that are going to come up well you got checo basically potentially could just get tossed away after the season and you know maybe not continue with Red Bull or they'll stick Yuki in who by the way is not ready to get in a Red Bull racing seat uh, in any capacity in fact hot topic I don't think he should be in the Alpha Tauri seat I think it's bad for Alpha Tauri that he is I feel like he was in F2 for what just one year he could do another year I feel like he definitely could could, you know he could basically win that next year right he didn't win it he didn't win it did he no he didn't he could have won that in, in his second year and then come up and then got an Tari. and my boy Albon could have been with Pierre they could have been rocking up they could have been doing some big stuff because Gasly's basically carrying that team yeah. Yuki's well, messing around yeah, like, Yuki, Yuki's had definitely some questionable races hasn't he if you imagine if you know if, if uh, Gasly and Albon were together pulling in the top 10s every week there would be, you know, pretty pretty good bonuses for them and for the team in terms of that competition prize money. I think it would have been very uh, good for Alpha Um But, you know, to the point of Marco and drivers, I feel like, you know, if I was in F2, you know, if I was Yip, Vips or Darvula or something, I'd be like, I am never getting in the seat because Helmut's trying to go after Charles Leclerc or they'll probably, like, look at, they'll point at, like, Juvenazzi next, but like, oh, Juvenazzi <laughs> pretty good, isn't he? No, let's get it. <laughs> let's get him in. Like anybody other than like uh, a junior driver again, because I don't think they have the patience to to put someone in as talented as they may be and not expect them to like turn out podiums like every week, which is just unrealistic. Especially considering Red Bull is a very unique and hard to drive car in terms of the F1 paddock with its you know its high rake, its it's very front heavy and it doesn't suit everybody in fact for f2 is not set like that at all i think F2's- i think for maybe created some unrealistic expectations with his uh first f1 experience exactly so i i feel like when helmet says this stuff i'm just like oh man read the room like you have so many drivers that you know 
are definitely good enough to sit in that seat and and achieve things that you want them to achieve. But the problem is they 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 don't have they don't think in terms of like when they sign Charles Leclerc for five years they don't think they wouldn't even long, keep him for five years. Yeah, they don't even think long term. <laughs> two design. years, they even. Like, <laughs> they, Renault even gave Ocon a three year three year deal. Was it? Yeah, yeah, three year deal. And you know, Ocon has been okay, but he's not been like I wouldn't it's say he's like hot fire deal. like. Uh, amazing you know he's not like a he's not he's not locked in for three years you know but that to their credit and why i respect that i guess is because well they obviously see like a a growth potential with it and they're hoping that by the time it comes to like the last of the contract him ocon is a top form comfortable with the car and can really produce results that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that red bull don't think about they don't they don't say okay come in Here's three years. They say, come in and actually don't bin it. You otherwise, have I, actually will, I will fire you if you bin it <laughs> you more than twice. <laughs> yeah. You have half a season to prove yourself. You're done otherwise. Um, and there's so many greats in the wayside, you know? So, And here's the potential issue for Red Bull sort of thinking towards the next year or two and for the program they have running as a whole. Um, Pierre Gasly, I think we can all agree, is quite a talented driver. He definitely does have a very strong future. And he has hinted over the past few weeks that if another team was to come calling, he would consider leaving the Red Bull program to go and drive for another team. Because at the minute, he doesn't know if he would want to go back to Red Bull necessarily to drive for the A team. But also, there's no clear prospect of like Helmut being like, oh, you're definitely coming back to Red Bull. And then, well, it, and then if he's just stuck post, at Alphatari... If you stuck it out, did his little blog posts where he was like, "Oh, they treat me badly." They, they, Gazi basically produced like an OK magazine, like a scandalous like piece, that. which kind of went yeah. a bit under the, un- yeah, it kind of went a little bit under the radar. I'm not going to lie; like, no one really picked it up that much. But it was quite like a transparent, it was very open, damning yeah. like uh, biography of his time with Red Bull, where they he said like they just pressured him, they didn't give him time, like. At a certain point, it turned like you felt the atmosphere turn against him. It sounds like naft, but if anyone's working, there, if you were working there, you'd want to leave yourself. But I mean, if he does leave, and I mean, like Renault would be a pretty big op. I think get rid of. Fern- I mean, Fernando's doing great. And it's great to see him. He's a great meme he to see him to, back. But like, he needs, he, needs to, he needs to vacate that seat for somebody <laughs> that's got leave. a future in Formula One. That's the main thing about Formula One. It's got to be about future drivers. Gasly and Renault with Ocon, French lineup. There you go, Bosch. Um, but he should get out of the academy because, you know, well, I mean, Ricard, for Daniel, it's not going so well to break with his Red Bull ties. It's gone a bit the other way, but Daniel's at the top of his game. For the younger guys that have broken away, like like Science, for example, he's kind of, you know, meanders away up to a Ferrari seat. He's, 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 a, he's, a, he's a top driver, you know, he's a really good... He's, he basically matches Charles uh, on pace, like virtually every weekend. Obviously, he's a bit unlucky sometimes on qualifying, but sometimes he'll out-qualify Charles. And that's and that's his first season in Ferrari, so he's 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 a great he's a great driver. He's developed that from himself. If he was still in the Red Bull Academy, Carlos Sainz wouldn't be in Formula One. Wait, so interesting, interestingly, right? You were saying if if Albon had Yuki's seat, so I was looking at the standings. Alpha Tauri is now ten points behind Aston Martin, only five points ahead of Alpine. Really, they could have locked in that fifth place in the constructors' championship. If they'd only had a couple of good results from Yuki, easily. But I don't know whether the decision, obviously, to put Yuki there was a Red Bull team decision, yeah, or, or whether it was, it was yeah, stakeholders. Or... I don't think France France Toss really 
had much of a say in it for that second seat. But um, so the last yeah. the last thing that we wanted to talk about briefly um, f for this episode, really, because we could talk for hours, um, was uh, Daniel at McLaren, Daniel Avocado at McLaren. The honey budge himself. That's my What's your thoughts, Chris? Preacher to the world. So he I think we can all agree that he's he's probably one of the one of the most charming and likable drivers in, in Formula One currently. Um I think he has the widest neck in Formula One as well. <laughs> the widest neck. By a country mouth. <laughs> Is that right? I've never Oh yeah. I've never looked at his neck. <laughs> I look at it all the time. He has a he has a big mouth, definitely. He has probably the biggest smile of anyone in Formula mm -hmm. One. Um so I think his move to Renault was maybe a little bit ill considered. Um didn't work out. Now he's at McLaren, first season at McLaren. As as a little duo with uh the the much younger uh, Lando, Twitch streamer, Twitch streamer, Twitch streamer <laughs> Lando, um, and you definitely will need a couple of races, at least a couple of race weekends, to get used to a car because it's going to be different again because it's a completely different team. You have to get used to your engineers. You have to get used to everything. Fine. Daniel has a number of years of experience, though, on other people that have occupied that seat and he's not he's not able to translate his his experience and his his racecraft and maybe that's one of the issues is, is late braking maybe that's something that just he can't do with that car because the car's not suited for it maybe but he's not able to translate his experience into really reliable results um, and then it's not just in qualifying not just in like single hot lap pace he can't also in race pace, sometimes it's just nowhere to be found. Um, so that that begs, is that going to change this season? Where where do you guys see that see that going? I I think I think Ricardo, as sort of a character in F one, is is an interesting one. I think I know for me, sort of my first impression of Ricardo, my sort of when I think of Ricardo, what I think of is completely outperforming Sebastian Vettel in twenty thirteen, sort of week in, week out. And I think sort of when Ricardo went to Reynolds, when he's went to McLaren, we were expecting he would be that driver that can come in like he did to Red Bull in twenty thirteen and just drive the car pretty much perfectly straight away, perform really well in the car and get results from day one because that was sort of our first impression of him when he went to a big team for the first time. I think sort of, especially this year at McLaren, that's not been the case. So I suppose we need to ask ourselves the question and that is sort of, for when, when Dino Ricardo drives, where our current expectation is a drive that's going to put that McLaren in the top five. So going into the season, we were expecting Darren Ricardo to take a McLaren, maybe not every week, but every other week, to a top five finish. And that, or top or six, top six even. even top six. And that top hasn't six. been what we have seen. So I suppose the question is, is Daniel truly underperforming quite badly? Or is our expectation just set too high and actually a finish of seventh or eighth or ninth 
is actually sort of what his current ceiling is at the minute? Uh, I mean, I feel like Daniel. Well, I feel like he he's peaked. He peaked with Red Bull, uh, and I think he's gone into a bit of a rut. And I don't know if he can see a way feasibly back out. I don't see like. I think when he left to join the Renault project, because he was getting off the big box, I personally don't think it was all a vanity thing getting getting the, the massive paycheck. I think he thought that because he was getting paid that much, that Renault was like also putting... I mean, they were, they are. They obviously are putting a lot of money into it, but like I think he expected uh, more from Renault. And I think, to be honest, when Renault not, were not very competitive when he really joined. And I think... Him trailing around where he was and having to really work super hard, I think he just kind of basically he was putting in double the effort that he was at Red Bull and getting less results. Um, and I think obviously long term he just didn't see Renault working out. I mean, he, he doesn't have a long term. You know, he's he's got uh, like all F1 drivers they do have a sell by date, and the sell by date, you know, like obviously you said, well, Kimi doesn't, but Kimi just you know likes racing from one cars. He's just here because he can be. He just likes at a certain point. You know, you get your ex-champions, you get your Vettel, you get your Alonso's. They're they're good enough to be in the Formula One pack, but they're not. They while they obviously all have aspirations to be Formula One drivers, they've gone like that expiry date is kind of come and gone. Like they are, you know, putting they're seeing out their careers in a respectable manner, you know, the best as they can. Daniel's on that cusp, I think, of being like kind of getting towards that sort of, especially with all these newer drivers, fast drivers, he's kind of failing into that sort of irrelevancy part where like, he's not really seen as like a championship contender or a future championship contender anymore. You've got Charles for that, you've got Russell, you've got got even Norris now. People are saying Norris is, if Norris went to Mercedes, he'd, he'd smash it as well. And Daniel's not really in that picture anymore. And I think the one thing that Daniel does have, which he should hang on to, I mean, he does hang on to, he does market very well, is his brand is very strong for McLaren. And I think McLaren is the right place for him to be for his brand because obviously McLaren has a huge following in America and I feel like America is somewhere that Daniel always always enjoys racing he always loves going with his wacky cool helmets at um, Circuit of the not Circuit of the Americas I forgot what that one's called the USA Grand Prix is it Circuit of the Americas? No. it is Circuit of the Americas Circuit of the Americas there we go Cota that's why I was thinking abbreviations but you know I feel like that he could very well taper off into a nice he could en- I could see him enjoying a bit of NASCAR or like dabbing his hand in like an indie car sort of McLaren crossover mm-hmm. a bit like Fernando I think it would just you know it would probably invigorate him more I'm not saying like sabbatical per se because I think sabbatical is a very risky thing these days I don't think it's, it's as as common as it used to be and I think it's you're basically walking out that door and there's very little chance of coming back um, but I think he needs something I don't really think he I don't really when I when he when you see him, he's always just smiling, and but you can tell it's like smiling at the front, but like behind there's a bit of pain because Lando's the one getting podiums this season. Lando's the one that's got the contract extension. Lando's the one that Zach Brown loves the most clearly. I mean, everyone loves Daniel, but Lando is McLaren's future. There's, he's basically earned that for himself now. He shows it like everyone turbo drivers Lando, and when you don't, you feel it because he does really well all the time. <laughs> You know, we've definitely regretted. Like like that stat of Lando scoring points for 15 races in a row is actually like a huge, huge thing to not like crash in any sort of way to the point where you always score points. No, but it's it's because he does this shit in the free practices where 
it's track limits and he goes over and he's just fucking somewhere in the middle and you're like well he's having an off weekend i don't really think he's gonna do that well and then there he is saturday sunday he just fucks all the way up to top five and you're like where the fuck did that come from yeah yesterday you were like you, you couldn't sit a lap you, you you can do a single lap without crossing track limits and he's in, he's, in the, he's in the paddock at the end being like oh just we've got no we're nowhere to, we're nowhere this weekend we're nowhere and then on saturday it's like oh we're yeah. fourth <laughs> <laughs> i think ultimately though to, to sign off my point i think daniel needs to score some wins against norris first let alone uh sort of on the grid i think he needs to get the confidence he needs to get some confidence points within himself to be like okay well this kid's doing pretty good he kiss the focus but i still got you know this fight ain't dusted. Um, otherwise, I just, I just, I know, I, I just don't see where he's going to get that that spark back from. Like, what's he's got the package there? Obviously, Lando's dragging that car up to fourth most weekends, or or at least he's even grabbing podiums. So it's not like he's he's you know, even Daniel said himself uh, before this weekend, his his best finish was like sixth, which is he admitted for himself is an anomaly, and he doesn't really like it. But it's all there for him to do, and he can, he obviously can do it. But it's whether you know. I, I feel like there's factors around it, like the time, like the focus isn't on him anymore. His many moves, the many moves that he's made is kind of like sort of hit. We talk about it a lot, right? Formula One stock is a thing. Like the driver stock is a thing. I feel like in many ways, while he's tried to find a championship winning team that he can build on himself, he's devalued himself a little bit by team hopping. Not saying that he shouldn't have done it for himself. And if he if sees, McLaren's not like a bad place to end up, but I feel like with every move and with every sort of like failed project over the past three years, it's kind of ebbed away his stock in Formula One as somebody that's okay. Well, Helmut Marco is not, you know, he's no longer saying I want Daniel back anymore. He's saying he wants like Giovinazzi and Russell or whoever the, the heck is back there, some young kid with talent that's going to win. So, but then was it even a good move to go to McLaren? Because yeah, you're saying that he plays well with the team and I think in America he would do quite well as a personality um, but if we go back to the 2020 season for qualifying he was ahead 15 against Ocon's 2 and then in the race he was ahead 13 against Ocon's 4 whereas now this season so far he's only beaten Norse in qualifying 3 times and I think race maybe once I think too sort of backtrack a little bit and jump on sort of one of Daniel's earlier points about sort of Ricardo approaching a point in his career where he's kind of at that point that Alonso and Vettel are currently at as much as many of us would love to see maybe Alonso or Vettel challenge for a world championship again but we know deep down that's not going to happen their time has went but although their time has went they still can bring large value to a midfield team. Alonso at Alpine, as it's called, this year. Um, he's been that expertise that won two world championships, the expertise that have been in championship battles, that have helped design a championship car to that team and can help move them forward as a team. Similar for Vettel going to um, Aston Martin. He was a four-time world championship at Red Bull. Yes, he wasn't able to add on to any of those when he got to Ferrari and sort of stuff very much went quite downhill in his last 18 months at Ferrari. But he still brings a four-time world championship stock to Aston Martin. He brings sort of 
that knowledge of how to develop a championship car and they know sort of next season they're necessarily going to have the championship winning car but um omar said it himself um during this week you know but they would hope that within the next say 45 years of that championship car will be something that they will be getting close to having and so if they see Vettel as their path to getting that and I think Ricardo doesn't bring that with him he's a driver that's yeah, that because he's never hit the same peak he's has never he? hit the same peak so he has less value to a team's development he can't you know go to a middle field team and bring expertise that's going to make them a top field team the middle teams are better sort of sticking mm. with one of their younger drivers and grow the car with that younger driver instead of yeah he's an aged he's an aged title contender you know he's not one and he's, he's not you know he is now at the tail end of a queue of people that want to have a shot at the title and there are people far younger than him with with you know just by virtue of age are going to have a, a lot longer time window now Let's say, like, you know, you've got your Verstappens and Leclerc. I feel like, what, 22, 23? They've got seven years of Formula 1 at least to find their time to have that year where it's their shot. Or Russell or something like that. Daniel is now... He's really at the far end of that order. And also, because he's... Because, he, like, as David said, he's not got any sort of calibre. Uh, obviously, he's a winner. You know, and obviously, he's, he's, a, he's a good overtaker and all those kinds of things. But he's not got any sort of um, yeah something that he could take to keep it in F1 like David was saying something that helps build teams or something that, that other teams will see as like sort of useful experience to have from you know he, he is somebody that's like the kid that you know stays that got like that's stays at school for three more years or something well maybe maybe it's his marketability maybe it is his personality that is his biggest selling factor well, to be fair, you know, with this whole Japs Advice thing and, and the influx of younger fans, uh, female fans, male fans, kids, like, because it's on Netflix, everyone watches. Like, I see people that I didn't even know watch from the one liking stuff on Instagram now. Um, and I, I bet you it's because of Japs Advice. Daniel, in that way, is, like, hugely invaluable because he's, like, probably one of the funniest and, yeah, I'd say most likable people on the, on the paddock. But I feel like, you know, that's all well and good, but I don't think that's what he really wants to be. That's not where you want your focus to be. Everyone's like, Daniel's funny and he's great, but then no one's like, Daniel's definitely going to win a world championship with McLaren in the next four years. Cause no well, one, it's sad no because he does that. have his signature moves. And that's that's what I want to see again. I want to see like the Ricardo from Red Bull. I want to see that shit again. I think the issue is McLaren didn't bring Danny Rick on for his personality necessarily for the sort of marketing value he brings, because in a sense, Norris, the streamer, was already giving them that market. Yeah, they already had it. Into yeah. the, their, that entry point into the younger market of the new generation of fans. Mm-hmm. They brought Danny Rick in to sort of challenge for that podium every so often to be finishing um, in the top half of the points. That was why they brought him to the team, because at the time when he got his contract and whatnot, they didn't think Norris was that driver that they didn't even necessarily know where Norris could become that driver. So they needed to go, you know, get someone like Danny Rick. Danny Rick. They've seen his ability to win races and whatnot in the past. So they brought him in to do that. Interesting point. Maybe it's not so much that Ricardo 
is nowhere. Maybe it's just that Norris is so outperforming where he otherwise would have been. Norris is having the best season of his life. Mm -hmm. So maybe Norris being like, if we if we talk about the Amazon graphics, right? Norris is like 120% of car. And then Ricardo is just like 89% of the car. So that's like a 30% difference. I don't think it was ever unexpected though, because Norris's trajectory over the season has been with McLaren has been constant upwards trends. So I, I don't think it's a big surprise. I think maybe Daniel thought went in thinking it was going to be a fight that he could certainly do yeah. do well against. You know, he thought it was going to be like maybe another Ocon situation. However, what he's found is that Norris is 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 you know really turning the figures this season. I think he was going this for the rest of the season. Norris will have. Far up. If Daniel continues at this level, results which are good but behind Norris by the end of the season, it's going to look a paint a bad picture for Daniel, which is not going to help him. It is not also a point him. though is that you know, do you think Lando Norris is, is is good looking? Do you think he's attractive? Do I think Lando Norris is attractive? Yeah. Um, because he has the largest amount of like F1 stands, I would say, arguably say every single thing, person you see on Instagram or Twitter is a has a Lando Norris pick, and I'm really curious to know is this just because of like what like obviously I'm not saying not what's the appeal i'm saying like but conventionally there's some very attractive people on the formula one grid right does lando <laughs> fit into that category <laughs> who, do you, who do you consider to be conventionally attractive all right well we got i would say charles is like your your carbon copy like conventionally attractive i think science is quite science science is basically like attractive spanish man if you if you could print that out if you could go to like the computer and type it, it would be like I the Google, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Carlos Sainz would come up, you know, <laughs> attractive Spanish man. But they, they, well, they have they have stands like Norris has the most, and I'm just like Norris. I mean, all, all due respect to Norris, he, he looks very young. Like he looks like a like a yeah, kid, like a boy. Yeah, he looks. You know like what I mean? Hey, that's a bit of a side point, but you know, I just that pulled up the driver standing. Fair enough, it's only five points, but right now Lando's ahead of Botas. He's sitting occupying that third position in the championship. And I suppose it's just that thing of you know, no one expected that Norris was gonna be there right now, coming up to the summer break. Yeah, but also no one expected Botas to be like below ten in some races. Like he's like off below the midfield. You're like, mm. Botas, what are you doing? Well, I think that Bottas could be a whole episode by itself. That'll be okay. Bottas. That'll be, that'll be episode three. We be yeah. after Hungary. <laughs> but yeah, no, I <laughs> think Daniel's... Uh, to cap it off with Daniel, I think he's he's got a very serious couple of races ahead. Whether he, I'm sure he's aware of that, but if Lana Norris continues his meteoric rise this season and doesn't dip off in any way, Daniel's got to you know, seriously put some... Very tough it's going to be very good. Otherwise, I really think, like, at the end of the season, if Norris is convinced... And if Norris finishes P3 or something in the Constructors' Champion... The Drivers' Championship, sorry. Like, it'll be... It'll, I think it'll be disaster for Daniel, honestly. He'll be... He'll be job hunting. Like, not, not in a... Uh, not in, like, an immediate sense, but, you know, the team is not going to think he's their long-term championship future, you know. He'll, he'll be a good, solid... He, he's going to end up drifting that solid, reliable... You don't want to be solid, reliable. That's the worst thing you want to hear as a Formula One driver. You don't want to be like the solid, reliable guy. You want to yeah, be like the, be the new Bottas, the quick guy, isn't it? So, um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe after Hungary, we'll have a different thing. Maybe he'll finish like on the podium, he'll win the race, and we'll be like, oh, there we go. You know, that'd be good, wouldn't it? He's heard us. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was gonna say uh, maybe 
next episode we record, we should get on a special guest to talk about how attractive the, the grid is. That is absolutely... I will, see, I will see if I can source an expert. That is absolutely a cracking idea because I've actually thought about this a lot. Okay, I will, I will... I feel it would definitely be a better segment to have other than David's random conspiracy theories on the driver lineups. <laughs> I, think, I think I quite enjoy David's conspiracy theories because you've also had a lot of conspiracy theories about Mercedes somehow limiting the performance of their cars, playing around with wings, all that good stuff. So... I think, you know, just uh, from a legal point of view, I think for, if we're going to rate driver appearances, we should do it on like a collective team basis. So instead of individual driver, it's like who has the most attractive team line, like line up as a team. That's one way to avoid any sort of backlash. You know, we don't want to get, uh, you know, no, cancelled off the internet straight away <laughs> we, for we don't go, we rating. Don't <laughs> as, as much as it is an amazing and great and fun topic, yeah, if we do it by like sort of broadly speaking, by by constructors, by constructor ranking, who has the most attractive lineups? Like no, no names in particular, but allusions to like who's letting the team down and what team. <laughs> okay, um, so that was that was the topics for this episode. Do you want to round us off, Daniel? Of course, I can round us off. So yeah, that was uh, you've been listening to Daniel, Chris, and David talking about Formula One and some. Uh, some great opinions, maybe polarizing. I don't know where this is going to end up, so maybe you want to tell us that we're wrong entirely or have your own opinions yourself, in which case you can write into us via, via letter, probably. I'm sure there's a post box we're going to set up. Email. We'll give you Chris's one because I don't want any hate in my emails, please. Um, and yeah, we're going to watch Hungary next week, set up our fantasy teams, and we'll we'll check back in with everybody and we'll obviously see what the to- topics to discuss are. And uh, if you enjoyed, then yeah, uh, that's great. Well, I certainly enjoyed talking about Formula One with you guys, so it'd be good to continue. But thanks for tuning in and listening if you have. It's uh yeah, thanks it's for listening. Fun. Thank you. See you next episode. See you guys later. <laughs>